Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Ken Wei. As the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum wrapped up last week, echoes of discussions on rebuilding trust, which was the theme of the annual meeting, still stays with us today. Discussions about economy, artificial intelligence, and green development are expected to energize the global market of ideas. Here are some highlights shared by some of the participants I interviewed during the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum this time. AI's being able to read and write uh, is a very new thing. That was uh, Microsoft working with OpenAI with ChatGPT4. It was the first time it was good enough that you could say it's a, a help for white collar jobs. So things like technical support or programming or uh, sales calls, it now can drive productivity. And we need to let that get out in the economy, uh, make sure that it's accurate, particularly if it's doing things like giving health advice, uh, you know, get it into the education system so students have an individual tutor uh, that knows about their state of knowledge. And although we need to educate the, the government people, uh, it's only as it rolls out that you'll see, okay, where is it good and should be accelerated and where are the challenges? Like, you know, if, is a bad guy using it for a cyber attack? So you need an even better AI that helps you do cyber defense. Some people are even expecting recessions now, but the economists are still growing. And uh, I prefer uh, to look at uh, glass uh, half full instead of half empty. And even if you have challenges, uh, there is real opportunities moving forward. If you look at the new technologies, for example, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, these can increase the global productivity with 30% in the coming decade. That would be the highest increase in productivity that we've seen in recent history. And productivity is really, really prosperity. If you can produce higher up in the value chain with less people, you can then uh, afford uh, to buy more and you will have also increased um, salaries in the households. As they say it in China, that when China grows, everyone grows. So when China benefits, everyone benefits. Mm -hmm. The Chinese model, the best part about that is it believes in economic intervention, it believes in the win-win situation, it believes in mutual coordination and cooperation. Uh, China today is uh, uh, managing 22% of the global R&D, following the US with uh, 27%, uh, and followed by Japan with only 7%. So the, the, the uh, booming of uh, biotech and research in China the booming of new technologies is, is for, a, for a company like ours, uh, a tremendously attractive opportunity. Uh, we operate, uh, as I mentioned, with, uh, with a uh, significant presence. We have 5,000 employees in China. We have several uh, factories, innovation hubs. But we, uh, we uh, rely also on trust-based partnerships with uh, local companies to be able to, uh, to, uh, to accelerate our contributions to customers and patients, mm -hmm. and, and most importantly, to, to continue to contribute to our global growth and resilience. But I've never really accepted the thesis that you see written in various parts of the world about peak China, uh, that somehow the uh, Chinese economy is peaking 
slowing and then heading towards something worse. <coughs> and the reason I analyse it in those terms is because you don't have to have been to China hundreds of times over, the, over 40 years to conclude that the Chinese consumer is the best guarantor of China's economic future. So long as the Chinese consumer has confidence in the future, uh, then the economy will continue to grow reasonably well. That's a core fact. And remember, the scale of the Chinese consumer market is uh, unprecedented in global economic history. Whether the green transformation will be able to meet the growth need, I think this is indeed an issue. It's a we, critical issue. Yeah, we, we saw the, the green sector grow strongly, EV, batteries, you know, it's all fantastic, right? But scale is a big issue. So in that sense, the government will continue to put an amount of money into the green infrastructure. So this year, we roughly estimate the Chinese authority will invest so 10 trillion RMB in the green infrastructures. Uh, digital energies, digital facilities, data sets, <coughs> and uh, power systems, digital power systems, um, to f facilitate um, the, the green transformation also to avoid uh, over-invest in road and the bridge. So they will try, to, because 10 trillion RMB will provide very strong growth support for the whole economy. The year 2024, nearly half of the world's population are set to go to the polls to elect or re-elect government leaders. These elections means more uncertainties to come. What do participants at Davos 2024 think about this option? Take a listen. Uh, I believe the elections in the United States are one of the greatest risks for the world <clears throat> because the United States is internally having a great conflict between values um, and that's brought about populism and there's a rather extremism that's operating there so that neither side will accept losing or subjugating themselves to the other side. And then there's the international issue. Um, international conflict with the United States. The, um, the problem with that is also a, a problem from the U.S. perspective. Foreign investors or foreign com companies worry about being sanctioned in China. So it might be actions that could come from either the U.S. side or can come from the Chinese side. And then there's still the remarkable development of Chinese technologies and Chinese productions. Look at the leadership that's taking place and wind and electric vehicles and even the, the development of uh, the chip race. Um, you know, that's an American-Chinese competition and it's really quite remarkable how effective that is. But of course, that also in the competitor's view represents a risk. So you look at marketplaces, Europe, Will electric vehicles, what will the roles be, and so on. So those competitions are going on, and how they're handled, I think, will be really important. We see that when building resilience uh, with trade, world tra building resilience for world trade, decentralizing and re-globalizing, that is the answer to weaponizing trade. If we are not overly dependent on one geography or one sector, then it is very difficult to weaponize trade. Mm -hmm. So by advocating this re-globalization, this decentralization and deconcentration of supply chains, that is a tool 
to, to prevent trade being weaponized. The outlook of the Chinese economy is one of the most anticipated in Davos this year. Today, let's meet Ray Dalio, the founder of Bridgewater. What does China's economic transformation mean for the world? And what are some of the issues global CEOs are looking at when it comes to China's economy? Ray, what a pleasure to see you. So good to see you again. One of the times for the Chinese Premier to interact with the OD international community, including 800 global CEOs. I really wonder what is uh, the nature of curiosity these days from the business community about China, for example, reflected in your work? Of course, there's been changes in China in a way where um, the business community is concerned about the conflict between the United States and China. And I would say that last March it reached its worst point. And that was a terrible, terrible time. And it's made improvements since then. In other words, both sides recognizing that a terrible economic war or a terrible military war would be terrible. And so that there's now a better amount of talking. And I think it'll be important for the world to hear him and then also um, to continue to paint the picture of China's role in the world as a, um, as a peaceful, uh, productive party in the world. Mm. Do you think people will be convinced? I think actions take, uh, actions will be important over a period of time. People, I think, sometimes come with their stereotypes. They don't know China well. I've been lucky. I've been going since 1984, so I know China pretty well. Uh, but still, there are questions. So I think over a period of time, it's more a matter of the actions that are taken. Now, since the meeting between the two presidents in San Francisco last year, we see both sides have drawn up some specific to-do list, and they're trying to deliver. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, this is an interesting year, 2024. You have in the United States one of the most eye-catching elections, and you have in China an economic transformation where people are asking about the economic growth. So how do you see these two events in two very different countries working on the bilateral relations? Uh, I believe the elections in the United States are one of the greatest risks for the world <clears throat> because the United States is internally having a great conflict between values um, and that's brought about populism and there's a rather extremism that's operating there so that neither side will accept losing or subjugating themselves to the other side. This election is going to be a question for democracy. Can democracy work it out? Can the United States work together or will the factions break it apart? There is an immediate um, problem that has taken place because of the uh, uh, real estate problem, caring to the local government financial problem. Those problems are manageable if well, managed well. There might be forms of restructuring, they need monetary policy and the like. They have an effect on people's attitudes and their willingness to spend money and so on. That's of course um, an, an issue. And then there's the international issue. 
um, international conflict with the United States. The, um, the problem with that is also a, a problem from the U.S. perspective. Foreign investors or foreign com companies worry about being sanctioned in China. So it might be actions that could come from either the U.S. side or can come from the Chinese side. And then there's still the remarkable development of Chinese technologies and Chinese productions. Look at the leadership that's taking place in um, wind and uh, electric vehicles and even the, the development of uh, the chip race. Um, you know, that's an American-Chinese competition, and it's really quite remarkable how effective that is. But, of course, that also, in the competitor's view, represents a risk. So you look at marketplaces, Europe, will electric vehicles, what will the roles be, and so on. So those competitions are going on, and how they're handled, I think, will be really important. Now, uh, China has been focusing on the so-called four news, as you know, new infrastructure, new energy, uh, new technology, and also new consumption. Well, Chinese like to come up with these power points. But how do you see these directions likely to drive the growth of the economy, which is very, very critical right now? Internally, uh, there's also, of course, uh, the dual circulation concept. Yeah. And so there's the external and there's the internal. I think internally, entrepreneurship, the ability to tap individuals and come up with that creativity to invent and to be able to resource them with capital is a very, very, very powerful vehicle in this competition. So I think it'll be very important that there's um, that support of the new types of things that are going on that you mentioned and also um, then the dealing with the old issues to deal with the uh, real estate, the debt restructurings and all of those, I think that those, those are important. So I would say in China, um, there are issues that you have to do the debt restructuring. There's a, a deflationary force that needs to be dealt with through some form of a combination of restructuring and then getting the monetary policy right. It can be managed. The other more important question is the direction of um, how do you value those incentives of the market. We see the entrepreneurs that have been the most evident on the international stage over the past 15 years, let's just say. You see there's a generational change that's taking place. We haven't known the newest names yet. They're not visible on the international stage yet, but there is a generational change. Meanwhile, you see Chinese companies are getting ever more global, given the circumstances they're facing uh, in different parts of the world, including back at home. So how do you see these elements, given your observation, are working into this transformation as we speak? Um, I think the idea of a dialectic, when things are at odds, and that creating the energy for making the movement forward is so apt now. I think that there uh, most likely will be these tensions and these trade-offs that are going to have to be made. But I think the Chinese force in terms of the, the power of the development is going to remain a great force in the development of China. And I think in both countries, what's most paramount importance is how they operate with their people to be strong and productive. Mm. Now, uh, China has been able to improve 
because it's interactions, opening door with the rest of the world, 40 years. But we can see that period of time compared to the industrializations and stuff over the past a few hundred years in the West is a very short period of time. So we are seeing year, hundreds of years of things taking place within a few decades. How do you see these timeline actually are creating confusions and wow factor? How do you see this uh, double sword uh, in a way? I think that there were some bubbles created. Real estate was, and I think it's healthy to get rid of those bubbles. And I've gone through four major comparable crises in the United States. And I assure you they're all manageable. I think the question is the interactions with the rest of the world and then the question of what form of productivity. Do the incentives remain or also, um, you know, we have a problem in the United States with um, that we could use more common prosperity. Because, so how do you achieve the right balances between making prosperity for most people so that it elevates both most people, whether that's in the United States or whether it's in China, to be productive is essential. And then to have people work together and have um, the, those relationships that rather than fight with each other, that equal opportunity, that you strive for equal opportunity, and broad-based benefits. Both countries, uh, I think that this is going to be a very key element in the success of either country. Mm -hmm. Because if that's not achieved, you won't have broad-based productivity and broad-based support and without that, I don't think you'll be successful. It, for both countries, it's be strong and be productive for most people, I think. Now, you hosted earlier an interaction with Mr. Liu Jianchao, uh, one of the uh, very prominent Chinese ministers of the Chinese Communist Party. And I'm sure you have, with that closed-door session, interact about Chinese diplomacy, the goals of diplomacy, vis-a-vis -vis economic development. Tell me more about what is the takeaway from that meeting? How is it interact with what you just explained to me and analyzed about U.S.-China? Uh, the main thing that he and I were both hoping to accomplish is to create a mutual understanding. That doesn't mean an agreement about what should be, but to try to eliminate misunderstandings because they're very dangerous. And um, he was remarkable in being able to be so open. He said, give me your toughest questions, whatever they might be. Let's discuss any of them. And he was really remarkable in having those exchanges. Uh, I think there, there are questions. There, they may seem impolite, but if uh, the United States, if he asks the United States, how could we trust in the stability of our relationship when the politics is so volatile. Okay, questions that, and then back and forth in terms of those delicate questions. That is um, really bringing about an understanding. So uh, that was something I was very, very pleased to see. He made a big impression in the United States. Quality communications, so crucial these days. Seeing it through the other's eyes. Not seeing it through one's own eyes, which could be biased. And then agreeing that there are certain terrible things that must not happen. What might be your concern for the next 
biggest challenge as you see today? Well, uh, as I say, when I combine the risk of the internal conflict in the United States with the risk of the external conflict, um, that opens all sorts of types of economic uh, risks as well as political. The costs of war, the United States being overextended in some places, um, and how that works out. Spreading of war in the Middle East, spreading of war in other places that create great disruptions. Um, and then, of course, we have this climate issue, which is, a bit, is going to be very costly. If you just spent the money it's on it, estimated $5 trillion a year, 5% of world GDP, I think in 24, it's, it's that, uh, that confluence. And then red lines. We're so close to red lines. Let's say if we were to take the Taiwan issue, okay, we're very close to red lines with the Taiwan issue. We're close to red lines in a number of areas. What does the chip war look like? How do sanctions work? All of those. So it's dangerously close to those red lines. I think wisdom will prevail but this is an environment where accidents also could happen. Mm. What would be the best advice? Yeah, the mutual understanding and, and, and being realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, Chinese concept of war, since the art of war was written, is that you should never win a war through military fighting because that's so painful and you're, you must not have been clever enough to win the war through military destructive. I would say, if we take that kind of war or if we take a terrible economic war and we realize that we should be clever to be able to compete mm -hmm. intensely. Technology is an interesting factor. Uh, as we know, this year's uh, annual meeting focused so much on artificial intelligence. This is also a competition we see between China and the United States. Now, how do you see these uh, technology factors, especially artificial intelligence, likely to play here? On the one hand, we already see the two sides come up with some kind of interactions, discussing a governance issue regarding to artificial intelligence. On the other hand, uh, we are likely to see a competition uh, between the two sides already taking place. So how do you see this mixed picture is going to also contribute to reshape what you just described? Well, throughout history, we've seen whoever wins the technology war, wins the economic war, and wins, wins the military war. So from both sides, it's very, very important that they do the best to win. They also recognize the threats that might come from those technologies. So in an ideal world, you'd have cooperation, but that, re that reality prevails. So, um, so now what you're seeing is that a, 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 a chess game playing. Yes. What technology and who and will I prevent it? And what will I mean for the countries that are in between? Will they be able to use it? And what sanctions will develop and so on? And then how do they get around those sanctions? And then so you see it where, let's say, Chinese companies will then go set up uh, companies that are not Chinese companies, not run by Chinese, um, and then they'll compete and so on. I think in this world today, it's very difficult to control all of those things. But that's the nature of what the war is like. Mm -hmm. And also, what has been China's biggest contribution to the world over the past few decades when you observe China? What could be 
the biggest contribution China can make in the next years that, as you see. I think the greatest contribution in the world, without a doubt, was the efficient production of um, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of things that uh, created incomes for people who enjoyed the benefits of those incomes and also created products which were cost effective. Um, so that was the contribution. Um, in terms of your question about the future, I think the, I, I, I think the view of China, as, uh, as has been stated and actually demonstrated in history, that's an extension of a Confucian view, which is that um, how to have harmony and how to not have the conflict and to have effective competition something even geopolitically like the tribute system. And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more Search World Insights, check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on X and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now.